myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hi, today I am speaking to Dr. Nishi Bhopal, who is based in California or Western Canada. I'm a little confused by your your location. <laughs> yeah, you. no, so I'm, I'm based in California in the mm -hmm. Bay Area, but I grew up in Western Canada. I grew ah, Western okay, Canada. that's where my confusion yeah. came in. Yes, the internet has been very helpful, but I get confused quite often. Okay, <laughs> so, and I do know that you are a psychiatrist. Did you add sleep medicine to your practice or did you switch over to just concentrate on sleep medicine? Yeah, so um, yeah, so I'm a psychiatrist, so I did my residency in psychiatry. I actually started mm -hmm. out doing internal medicine. I matched into internal medicine and I did that for a year and realized it wasn't quite for me. So I ended up switching into psychiatry uh, after my intern year. Mm -hmm. And then when I was doing my psych residency, I discovered sleep medicine. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't even know that was a specialty that that one could study. Um, and I discovered it actually through one of my internal medicine um, senior residents. And so she was going into a sleep fellowship. And so I found out that there was actually quite a um, famous sleep center at the hospital where I was training in psychiatry. So I ended up doing rotations with them and I got really interested and um, I got to see the overlap between mental health and sleep and physical health and just how truly multidisciplinary sleep medicine is. Um, so I ended up doing a sleep medicine fellowship after my psychiatry residency. Can I just ask a question there? Did, do you notice, are a lot of psychiatric illnesses also involve sleep disorders? Many of them do. So... Um, uh, for example, there's a very high prevalence of sleep disorders in people with depression. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually a bi-directional relationship with mental health disorders and sleep disorders. So, um, you know, we see very high rates of insomnia in depression, but also hypersomnia. Maybe about 10 or 15% of people with depression have hypersomnia. That's the sort of, uh, let me pull the, cup, the sheets up over my head and ignore the day that that kind of sleep disorder that, that kind of thing or like what we would call excessive daytime sleepiness so people might still be going through their day but they're just so dog tired mm -hmm. they have brain fog they have fatigue they might even have sleep attacks or feel like they just need to take a nap in the middle of the day so they're they're pushing through right mm -hmm. so you know i see a lot of these patients in my practice they're really like just hanging on by a thread pushing through but they're so darn tired um, and on an Epworth sleepiness scale, which is how we would assess a person's level of daytime sleepiness, they'll score over 10. Um, and, you know, I'll see people with scores of like 15 or, or more. Do um, most of those, do most of those people self-report depression? Because I mean, I'm just thinking if I was the, a general practitioner and somebody came in and said, I just can't stay awake, probably my go-to would be, oh, maybe you've got sleep apnea. What, how would you tease that out at the general level first before you decide who you're going to send somebody to? Sleep apnea is a great consideration. So that's that's pretty high on the differential. And then even with people who have depression, about one in five people with depression have undiagnosed sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So it's quite common. Um, but yeah, sleep apnea is certainly in the, in the differential. But I would just start by taking a really good history, right? Like that's what it always comes oh, back yeah. to. Oh yeah, back to the basics. <laughs> Remember that thing? <laughs> We used to do <laughs> yeah so yeah. i i start with just a really good history and um just start to tease out what's going on with their sleep so questions i'd like to ask are what time do you go to bed 
then what time do you fall asleep? Because that's not always the same time. Mm-hmm. What time do you wake up and what time do you get out of bed? Do you snore? Does your bed partner notice any apneas or unusual behaviors in your sleep? Uh, do you feel a need to nap during the day? What's your sleep schedule on weekdays versus weekends? Uh, you know, so there's lots of data you can get just from a, a really good history. Now, I know with family docs and um, even psychiatrists, yeah. you don't have a ton of time in, in the five minutes that you have with your patient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a pretty rigorous um, screening form that I have patients do before I see them for an intake. Uh, so I actually put all these questions on the form and then we'll investigate further during a session. Um, it might take a few sessions to really figure it out. Uh, but the rating scales are helpful as well. So there's the Epworth sleepiness scale to assess levels of daytime sleepiness. You'll see scores on that really low, though, for people who have insomnia, because they have so much hypervigilance during the day that mm-hmm. they're going to score really low on that. But um, you may see really high scores as well, which could indicate um, hypersomnias like narcolepsy, uh, could be related to depression or even sleep apnea. And then uh, stop bang questionnaire which is a great screening tool for sleep apnea, but um, it kind of misses the mark with women and um, certain other communities because, I mean, it was standardized for white men. So uh, yeah, it misses half the population. It misses half the population. So you can't just go on that score alone. Mm -hmm. Sleep apnea is really subtle in women too. We can talk about that um, Mm -hmm. if there's interest there, but yeah. So, I mean, it really comes down to history doing some of these screening tools. And then if you're not sure, send them to a sleep doctor or send them for a sleep study if you don't have a sleep specialist in your area and mm-hmm. just get a better look at what's going on. So you send them to, if you really have no idea, you would go sleep, not psych first. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I'm always looking for sleep <laughs> issues <laughs> because it's, it's so fundamental, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're not sleeping well, it's going to affect your mental health. And honestly, since the invention of the electric light, I think most people have been sleep deprived. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've all been sleep deprived. It's just wreaked havoc on, on our sleep patterns and our daily routines. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, Joe Blow GP, have sent you a patient and you are evaluating said patient. What would be the sorts of things after the screening? What are the sorts of tests that you might be doing? for them right so for me i'm an integrative sleep specialist and psychiatrist so my practice is mostly psychiatry with sleep um Mm -hmm. added on to it just to answer your first question which i never got to so yes i mostly (laughs) practice integrative psychiatry and then um, i have this kind of niche carved out where i see patients for for sleep and so i don't specifically treat sleep apnea anymore i used to work in a sleep clinic where i did that but now Mm i i really like to look at things in a holistic integrative way so if somebody comes to me for help with sleep issues, so yeah, I do all these screening um, forms and a really, really thorough um, history that might even take a couple of sessions. We go into trauma as well. We go into mental health issues. Um, and then of course, like very, very detailed um, sleep history. I ha- I'll have people do a sleep diary for a couple of weeks just to get a better picture. Mm-hmm. If they're using a device like an Aura Ring or a Whoop or a Fitbit, I'll have them collect data from that device and send me a few weeks worth so we can really start to investigate. But I also like to do blood work um, because I'm always looking for micronutrient deficiencies like suboptimal levels of vitamin D or B12 or iron ferritin that may not be causing their issue, but could be exacerbating their sleep issues or mental health issues. 
I'm fascinated by the idea of being anemic could cause sleep disorders, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's a very specific sleep disorder, restless leg syndrome, that is um, mm-hmm. attributed to low iron, right? So that's a simple blood test any, any GP or psychiatrist could do. You could check for ferritin and mm-hmm. iron studies. Um, guidelines recommend doing it fasting now. And, um, mm-hmm. it's, ferritin less than 75 is, is a risk factor for restless leg. Really? Thank you for that haven't practiced medicine in the clinical setting for a long time. That's a, that's a new one on me. Whoops. <laughs> so, okay. So now that I'm also intrigued then that you, you, did you train in nutrition specifically or just in, in relation to sleep? Yeah. I, mean, so I think we should all be practicing integrative <laughs> medicine. We should take whatever help our client, our clients, patients can have from all specialties. So I agree. I mean, integrative medicine is just good medicine, right? Yeah, it's just exactly. it's the way that no, there's, there is no alternative medicine. It's right. either works for people or it's not medicine. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I, I became interested in, in integrative medicine as it's called um, back when I was in residency um, because I was dealing with a lot of stress and burnout. I mean, who isn't during the residency? Mm-hmm. But um, so I discovered yoga and meditation at that time. And um, those practices really, really helped me. And um, I just saw how there were dimensions of health and healing that we weren't addressing in conventional medicine. I wasn't learning about these things in my residency. So that kind of just opened up the store for me to, to investigate complementary and alternative medicine, um, to learn more about integrative psychiatry. So I, I started just doing courses on my own, um, mm-hmm. just kind of in bits and pieces. So I started studying a little bit of integrative medicine um i studied a little bit of ayurveda i mean ayurveda is a whole path no that's a whole path of medicine yes it's a whole path i mean it's a whole like spiritual path in a way too um and but then so so is yoga i mean so is yoga yeah 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 absolutely yeah so i started doing all of that ayurveda for people who don't know is the um ancient system of healing from india um so it's very comprehensive and um so I studied that, but I, I realized, okay, that's not my path, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't have a lifetime to dedicate to this. It's just, it's not, it's not my path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I started doing other courses as well. And then there, this integrative psychiatry fellowship came up. It's called IPI uh, through the Integrative Psychiatry Institute. Um, so I was in the first cohort of students who took that program. Now I teach their sleep module um, uh, for integrative sleep. And now I'm studying functional medicine. So, okay. <laughs> For bench, I just can't get enough. Are you, yeah, that was what I was going to say. Are you one of those people that just can't not be studying? I just, For, can't. formally. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we have to learn all the time, but yeah. 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 So, well, you're, I know, I know I'm cheating here, but I'm, I'm, I'm a founding person for your sleep program for doctors. Do you, do you, you are trying to get the word out? Is that the idea? Or to, decrease the amount of sleep problems for doctors? You know, it's a, it's a mix of both. Um, I, so I came up with a sleep course. It's called the Holistic Sleep Reset. And mm-hmm. it's, for, it's for patients. Uh, it's for patients and doctors. Of course, doctors can be patients too. And yeah. um, it, it's eligible for CME. So um, clinicians can take the course or they can offer it to their patients. Um, and I just made that course based on my experiences with my own patients saying the same things over and over Mm -hmm. (laughs) as you know many of us do in clinic um so I thought well why not package this up 
and have it as a resource for, for patients. And then we don't have to go through all the basics in clinic. Then we can really start to personalize. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called the holistic sleep reset. Um, it follows the five-step process just to get people started with improving their sleep and understanding CBTI, understanding nutrition, um, understanding mind-body practices and implementing those things. Um, and I was getting a lot of questions and I still get a lot of questions from my physician colleagues and therapist colleagues because I work with a lot of therapists as I'm a psychiatrist mm-hmm. uh, about sleep or they'll send patients to me for um, referral for consultation. And I thought, well, there's a lot of need for for the sleep education. Um, most doctors only get about two hours of sleep education during medical school, mm-hmm. but every patient has to sleep, right? So, so I started putting together um, a course for doctors and for therapists, and it's called the Clinical Sleep Kit. So it's not quite a course; it's more of a a, a kit of materials that you can use in clinical practice. And there's a section for patients, um, so with materials that you can offer to your patients or use with them. Um, in practice, and there will be a section for doctors, which is just more medical education, kind of along the lines of what we we're talking about before, like checking ferritin and mm-hmm. um, basic guidelines. So you just have a one-stop shop of things that are high yield. So you don't have to go and do a sleep fellowship or go and take these, you know, hour long sleep, you know, many hours long sleep course is filled with information that you might not actually be using. Is there a danger that there would be more than one cause and that you would you would find that indeed somebody needed to have their ferritin supplemented <laughs> and their sleep would get a bit better, but we, w- but we would miss something more serious? Well, I always um, remind doctors and patients that there probably is more than one cause. Mm-hmm. It's probably not just one thing that's affecting their sleep or that's affecting their health, right? Um, and that's the integrative model is that there are many causes Mm-hmm. and um, we want to really get to the root of what's going on. So I look at it like a jigsaw puzzle, and we're just addressing different pieces of the puzzle, but we can't just address one piece without ignoring the others. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I have to... <laughs> so um, how about the doctor who is chronically sleep-deprived? Is there anything they can do to improve the situation apart from quitting medicine and going for a nine to five job, <laughs> what, <laughs> what can they do to help themselves more efficiently sleep? Yeah. So, I mean, which, who, who isn't chronically sleep deprived, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. we live in a chronically sleep deprived society and sleep is actually a public health crisis. Um, uh, the CDC has, has mm-hmm. proclaimed that. So a few things that I would recommend. One is just you know, I'm a psychiatrist, so I'm always asking people, well, what is your relationship with sleep? <laughs> so let's mm-hmm. examine that. Let's ask that question is like, you know, what is your view of sleep? Um, how do you prioritize it? Because it really does come down to um, changing your relationship with sleep and, and partnering with it. Um, recognizing that it is the foundation of your health, of your mental health, that you function better when you get optimal sleep. So really mm-hmm. making it a priority, because as you were saying before, the electric light has kind of thrown our routines into disarray. And um, sleep is usually the first thing to go when we're trying to catch up on things. Mm-hmm. If, you know, you're catching up on work or you just want to catch up on that Netflix show that you've been watching or whatever it is, sleep goes out the window. Um, and then we end up becoming, you know, chronically sleep deprived. And then we try to catch up, quote unquote. 
on the weekends yeah. or on holidays. And yeah. it just doesn't work that way. So that's the first step is to really make sleep a priority and embrace it as something that is going to help you be more productive during the day. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, another little thing that, that comes to mind is the concept of sleep procrastination. Like I've had no time to my, not, not consciously thinking, this is as a hypnotherapist, this, this isn't a conscious thought. It's just like, why am I still up at one o'clock? Oh, because the house is quiet and it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How can we address that? I, I don't, that's, that's probably everybody on the, not everybody on the planet, but many, many people, they don't have to be doctors to have, have too many people and too many things in the day. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's a huge one. And so actually, um, I, so I have a YouTube channel on sleep mm -hmm. and, um, my bedtime procrastination video, I think is my most popular video mm -hmm. and it actually went viral on TikTok. I think <laughs> I didn't have TikTok, but um, somebody told me that. So, um, yeah. And I think it just, it hit home for a lot of people because, um, many of us struggle with this bedtime procrastination thing. Um, this term came out of China called revenge bedtime procrastination, yes. where it's like, you know, you're just, you're just, yeah, you're just, I don't really, to go to bed. I'm not going to go to bed. <laughs> I'm going to stay up and do what I want, even though I have to get up early. Um, there's almost, there's this rebelliousness that's, that comes mm -hmm. with that. And um, yeah, it, part of it is because we're so busy during the day, we have no time for ourselves. And then nighttime is the only quiet delicious time that we have to really enjoy and so we end up forgoing sleep and then staying up late and reading or watching tv or scrolling social media or whatever it is catching up mm -hmm. on work whatever people are doing but then it again it backfires because then you just feel horrible the next day and yeah there are um, still 24 hours in the day regardless of what hours. you do with them yeah yeah exactly exactly so how i recommend dealing with this is one is to start to um carve out time for yourself during the day as much as you can and what that means it could be very very simple like it could mean just closing your eyes for 10 seconds like if you're a physician you're seeing patients just close your eyes for 10 seconds and just breathe so you mm -hmm. can you know activate your parasympathetic nervous system and just calm down a little bit um take your lunch break i i tell this to all my patients if at all possible do it outside <laughs> do it outside if you can do it outside and and don't scroll your phone while you're eating your lunch or mm -hmm. or catch up on emails just give yourself even if it's 10 minutes right it doesn't have to be a full hour but mm -hmm. take your lunch break chew your food really well really enjoy it um take some time after work um just again to like decompress maybe it's doing a breathing practice maybe it's just stretching for five minutes going for a walk um these small practices during the day have a big impact to to regulate our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system because otherwise you're like a bullet train all day right many of us are just kind of going from one thing to another we don't slow down and then the end of the day comes and we crash and then we just want to mm -hmm. veg out on the couch and that's just not a healthy uh rhythm to mm -hmm. be in so that's what i recommend to people is is number one is to just start to to carve out these little tiny practices during the day that are easy and sustainable that you're actually going to do so it's going to be different for everybody and the next is to um, decide in the morning what your target bedtime is that night. Because mm -hmm. if we're not intentional about it, we're just going to go through the evening and you might say, oh, let me just watch one more episode or, you know, I'll just finish this movie or whatever it is. Um, it is funny, then, isn't yeah. it? When, when you realize that those things are still going to be there tomorrow, 
and the weekend yeah. we <laughs> yeah they're not but going we still anywhere. Have to, we have to finish it today yeah yes. they're not going anywhere and neither is your work going anywhere um because i work yes. with a lot of people in 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 tech i'm in the bay area so mm -hmm. you know they go through their work day and then at night they're catching up on stuff oh no i just need to finish this one project or whatever well it's not due tomorrow like you can mm -hmm. it's, it's still going to be there tomorrow <laughs> Um, you have time, right? So it's this mindset of like of, of scarcity when it comes to time. But we have more time than we realize. And when you allow yourself to sleep, you actually give yourself more time because your brain is just, yeah. it functions so much better. It won't be so foggy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So set feel... your bedtime in, in the morning. So that's this is a, an important one. So um, decide what time you're going to go to bed and then you work backwards and you plan your day accordingly. Mm-hmm. Are you a proponent of of uh, waking up at five a.m.? I'm I disclaimer. I am not because it, it feels to me like you know the clock's going forward and backwards. You've still got twenty four hours, <laughs> but of course it is before the kids. Usually, that's often why you get up because you've got some. I can sip my coffee without somebody asking me for something, which is part of revenge procrastination too. That's I right. Think, but, that's right. Know. So I'm a proponent of of getting up at the time that works for you. Um, mm -hmm. I am not a 5 a.m. wake up person. That just does not align with my natural rhythm. Sorry um, for all the surgeons listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't do surgery. That's why I did psychiatry. <laughs> I can start my work day at 9 or 10 a.m. <laughs> so um, so work with, with the sleep schedule that works for you. So it may that may be dictated by your work schedule if you're a shift worker. Uh, or if, you know, if you're a surgeon or, you know, you have to wake up really early, you've got small, small, small children, um, you know, there's not a lot of control you have over that. So that's why it's really important to be intentional about your bedtime and try to stick on a regular schedule as much as you can. I know for shift workers, they can't really do that, but mm -hmm. um, for people who have to get up early, try to stay on as much of a consistent schedule as possible. Um, and what that means is on weekends or days off, get up within an hour of that time. It doesn't have to be exactly the same time, but within an hour, because otherwise you get into a, a jet lag effect, which we call mm -hmm. social jet lag, which is just like jet lag, but without traveling. And so that can really be disruptive to your rhythms. But if you, if you don't have to wake up early, you know, there, yeah, there is this whole notion of like, yeah, if you wake up really early, you'll be more productive. I don't, I don't really buy that because if you're, if you're, um, waking up at a time that's not aligned with your natural circadian rhythm, you're not going to feel good. Like I don't feel good when I wake right. up at five a.m. And that and circadian rhythms are weird and uh, the science all to themselves. I mean, you've you've yep. got we've all have variation. Some people are twenty six hour clock. Some people are twenty three. What do you do if your household is not all on the same rhythm? I I remember going to stay with a friend. <laughs> in Nevada I knew her really well didn't realize her husband didn't click their husband was an anesthesiologist and he would go to bed at 8 30 so the whole house shut down at 8 30 because he had to get up at four it was actually very good because I was up in the mountains so I was exhausted because I had traveled from flatland into the mountains <laughs> I needed extra sleep it worked very well for me but um do you have any tips on how do you cope when when things are sort of everybody's sort of out of whack if you, you're going to be dictated to by your children having to get up the crack of dawn for school in this in the U.S., uh, school day starts really early, particularly for high school. Yep. Um, 
which can disrupt things. So how how would you suggest people attack that? Yeah. So so again, it comes down to consistency. So if you if you don't have a lot of control over um, over those schedules and yeah, you have kids who have to get up early or you have a partner and, and, you know, maybe it's really disruptive when they wake up at 4am or 4.30. I mean, I have patients who describe this, you know, it's really disruptive if their partner has to get up at 4.30 or 5am and they don't have mm-hmm. to get up till eight. And then there's, you know, those three, three and a half hours of sleep that are really impaired, um, to see if, you know, one is, can you sleep in a different room? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's always, it's not always a bad thing. You know, people think about, oh, if I'm sleeping in a different room than my partner, then that means we've got serious issues in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you know, like if, if you sleep better, mm-hmm. if each of you sleeps better, it's going to be better for your relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing to consider. But another is, yeah, if you have to get the kids up and ready for school, you have to drop them off or what have you, then maybe you do need to get on a more consistent routine that's a little bit earlier and mm-hmm. kind of shift towards that. It's it's a tough one because yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a lot we can, I mean, if you're single or if, if it's just a couple of you, you know, just you and your partner at home and you're on a similar schedule, it's much easier, mm-hmm. but we do have to kind of adapt to what's going on around us. And of course, the other thing that completely throws young adults off, usually young adults, when you have a baby and all of a sudden nobody sleeps. No. <laughs> do you do you I, I assume you don't see infants for sleep disorders but do, do you have any advice for for people who have that challenge which can go on for quite a few years yeah so I, I don't I don't see children and, and I have a few colleagues that I, I refer to for um for child and adolescent sleep issues but yeah I mean for the young parents you know again it comes down to that mindset of um uh, not losing hope <laughs> mm-hmm. that that you you know it will get better um you know you will be able to kind of get onto a routine at at some point but um you know as they say like you know try to get sleep when the baby's sleeping when the baby's napping um sleep when you can try to get help when you can um uh you know so i have a lot of patients who um you know, they try to do everything on their own, you know, especially if you're a high mm-hmm. achiever or you're a perfectionist, they're afraid of asking their parents for help or siblings or other family members or, or even hiring help. Um, this is such an easy thing. Visible. I must be able to do it. Yes. Yeah. 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 And people are working full time and then they're, you know, uh, juggling small kids and yeah. Right. And I think another aspect of this, it's not revenge part, but it's, um, when you're working and everybody's out of the house and then you want to spend time with your children, there's a tendency to have a later bedtime for children that's necessarily good for them. Yeah. Um, because then you finally get to see them. And the children obviously look forward to that. And so they set their clocks that way. And and yeah. It is it's a struggle. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's a slippery slope too, because I actually just saw a patient last week who she's got um she's got a toddler. I think he's he's uh, maybe three and or two or three and he um they were doing that and now mm-hmm. he goes to bed at 10 and he won't go to bed before then and mm-hmm. she's pulling her hair out <laughs> going like can you please just go to sleep <laughs> so so yes yeah, so you have to be really mindful of that too because um kids will get into a rhythm and mm-hmm. you know as adults we need routine but kids really need routines and so if right. they're on now a later routine it's hard to shift them out of that yeah that is do you recommend ever for people to take naps during the day? 
I'm we're not talking about not a not a, a 10 minute close your eyes to just to have a moment of peace but an actual like a siesta my husband is mm -hmm. from latin america so the concept which is going there are a lot more countries now really don't have that except in the countryside but um traditionally everything shuts down for a couple of hours or so and then they run much longer into the evening and children's bedtimes are later in the evening because they take naps in the day so you think that's a good idea I love it. I I <laughs> I would be a huge proponent of bringing back the siesta. Um, yeah, it's actually so. When I was um, a kid, we lived in Scotland. Uh, so mm -hmm. I lived in Scotland for a few years as a child. My dad grew up there, and so we'd go for holiday in Europe. And there's a photo of us in Spain, um, all sleeping on a bench uh, <laughs> because it was siesta time and everything has shut down in the country yep. at that time. So, um, yeah, so we were just sleeping on a bench for a few hours in the afternoon and then we got up and, um, had dinner <laughs> and went yeah. about our day. And, uh, yeah, so I, I am a fan of naps. I think our, so we have a natural circadian dip in the afternoon, usually around two or 3 PM, mm -hmm. um, depending on your, your body clock. And that's an ideal time to take a little bit of a snooze. Um, and it could be a power nap. It could be that 10, 20 minute power nap, but mm -hmm. there are other kinds of naps as well. Um, I have a video on my YouTube channel about the different kinds of naps. Um, but sometimes we do need a restorative nap and that might be a couple of hours. Um, if you're sick, right. If you're recovering from COVID, um, or if you, you know, have been working shifts and you're just really, you know, really, really dead tired, you might need an extended nap during mm -hmm. the day. Um, I'm working with a patient right now who has um, severe depression and he's got extreme fatigue. He doesn't have a sleep disorder. Uh, we screen for, for all of that, but he's just, he's got the severe fatigue and hypersomnia. And he asked me, he said, okay, to take naps. And I said, yes. So he's been sleeping like 10, 12 hours a day. Um, or he was now. You mean total? Total. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he was sleeping, you know, eight hours at night and then another um, few hours during the day. Uh, took him, put him on a medical leave for mm -hmm. his treatment. And so he, he slept basically for a couple of weeks and now he's back on a normal sleep schedule. His, his body needed that restorative time. Yeah. So yeah. it's important that people really listen to their bodies. I think so many, so many things we think of as, as just, oh, this is this weird culture from way back when you know like where women used to be have a lying in period right you start you stop seeing people before the baby and it was good six weeks after the baby and all of these little rituals that we had that we no longer have and people have to go back to work especially in america because we don't have maternity leave but it, so many of those things really were health related <laughs> it was so much better for you to have that extra half an hour of sleep or an hour of sleep a day yeah. Do you yeah. do you see do you think there's hope that people will realize this and we can go back to some of these more sensible routines? I think there is hope and I I agree with that. I mean, these things are common sense, right? Like mm -hmm. but in our modern society, we're so disconnected from our bodies, from our own health, from nature. We have electric lights, we're you know, we're just working all the time. We're on these rigid schedules. Um when life doesn't work that way <laughs> nature doesn't work that way and our sleep will even change with seasons right you might notice your sleep is different in the summer mm -hmm. versus the winter i mean animals hibernate <laughs> and yeah. uh as, as humans we might need more sleep too so 
I, I do have hope, though, that things will improve culturally. We're starting to see the shift like 10 or 15 years ago. Nobody cared about sleep. No one mm-hmm. was talking about it. Now it seems like sleep is everywhere. There's all these sleep influencers online. I mean, we're talking about it right now. And mm-hmm. there's all these devices to measure sleep. So people are interested. Um, there is a movement across the U.S. to get rid of daylight saving time, Um which I'm a huge fan of. I think there's no need for us to have daylight saving time. It's really disruptive. And actually studies show that it, it increases risk of health issues after. And it increases car accidents and particularly yep. in young people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Increases car accidents, risk of stroke, cardiovascular events. Um, yeah. And even with schools, you mentioned high school starting earlier. There's a push to change that as yeah. well. So I, I think there is hope things are changing. People are becoming more aware. Um, it's it's going to take time, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. So we're kind of getting to that time. So would you like to give another little plug for your course? <laughs> when will your when will your toolkit for clinicians be available? Do you yeah, have so, any idea? <laughs> yeah. So um, well, my so I've got the two courses. So holistic sleep reset that's available. It's on Evergreen, so people can mm-hmm. get it anytime that they're interested. So you can go to um, intrabalance.com uh, to get the details on that. Uh, you can also check out my YouTube channel, Intrabalance, I-N-T-R-A Balance, um, mm-hmm. to learn more about the course or learn more about sleep. Clinical Sleep Kit, I've got a wait list for that. So um, that I would expect will come out later in the next few months. Um, it's September right now, 2022, as we're recording this. So mm-hmm. um, in the next few months, I'll expect that one to come out. Okay. And you have a podcast? I don't have a podcast, no. So I oh, I it's the YouTube. Yeah. YouTube is okay. Is I remember you? You said you have a partner who's not even in the US. You want to talk yeah. about that, that uh, I, initiative? I, <laughs> I have a business partner. She's in Australia. Her name's Amanda. She's a sleep coach. We're putting together a um, uh, product for women's sleep. Um, it's all a little mysterious right now. So I'll share more oh. about that when we're ready. Can, can I ask? Is this to do with perimenopause or is this in in women across the whole spectrum across the spectrum okay it sounds exciting i'll have to ask you back and come and talk about it again yeah we'll we'll come on thank thank you so much nisha it's great to talk to you sleep is one of my my pet things because whenever i see a a new hypnosis client the second session they always tell me how much better they're sleeping because they've learned to relax and uh it is such a huge a huge benefit early to bed early to rise all right thank you so much oh thank you thanks for having me thank you for joining us at myth magic medicine if you have found this episode useful you can apply for free cme credit through the link provided in the transcript if you're not a medical professional please remember while we're physicians we're not your physicians so please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.